When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Oh, give me a show. A show almost every day of the week, and I'm a happy camper. There's no place I'd rather be. Ah, another q and I'm, I'm so excited. I think I've got some good ones for you today. I've, uh, I've just just finished going through them. I, I, again, I do I check them out the day I do the podcast. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of prep time. You know, I got a, a little bit, I can look at a few things, uh, but I like it being fresh, which means I, you know, I don't always get it perfectly correct. Not all the time. Sometimes I have to clean things up a little bit, but I like the freshness of it. It's as if you were actually calling, which you actually do. You just don't do it live. Like we do on Saturdays from three to five Eastern at, uh, at the radio show. But you can call us anytime at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, or you can call us on Saturdays on the radio show and we can talk, have a conversation. Same number, 855-935-TALK. The other way to call, in the broadest sense of the word, it's kind of like when you film, you don't film anymore or you tape something, you don't tape anymore. So it's a broader sense of the word. Uh, people can call us, you can call us, your people, at, at, at TalkingRealMoney.com using the mic on your computer, which most of the time actually sounds pretty good. There's one instance today where it doesn't, but I'll fix that a little bit in post. So, oh, and by the way, I'm your calm host, Don McDonald. You'll know. You'll know what I'm talking about in just a bit on the show. So shall we just, yes, we should. We should just get started with questions. Every one of which, by the way, comes in from talkingrealmoney.com on the contact form where you push the button and you record a question, which sounds usually good, except for this one. Hi, Thomathon. Love your podcast. This is Brooklyn here from King of Prussia, PA. And I'm very new to the personal finance and investing space. I've been learning a lot from my partner, and he introduced me to your podcast, Investry. So my question is, I was listening to another podcast, and the discussion was on investment advisors and portfolio management. The portfolio of discussion is split across bonds and equities, as well as U.S. and international within two buckets. So bucket one is based on the buy and hold strategy, and bucket two uses a market timing strategy. Each bucket is being managed by different advisors. My understanding is bucket one uses the buy and hold strategy that it has enough to fund current expenses, and the market timing is for monies needed about 10 years out. So from listening to your podcast, I know both of you are not market timers, and market timing is not an investry advice model. 
but I wanted to ask, what do you think of this strategy? Do you think this makes any sense? Do you think this could be a sound strategy if made part of an investment plan? Thank you. Hi, Brooklyn. Thanks for listening. I'm just going to guess that your associate is Dr. P. I mean, how many King of Prussia PA listeners do we have? Could be somebody else, but I'm thinking it's Dr. P. Uh, stop listening to that other podcast. Just stop. Yeah, a lot of people spout off this bucket strategy or, you know, they they claim that they can time the market. There are all kinds of famous instances of that. There's, there's you know, the very famous Investor's Business Daily, which over and over and over and over and over again has been shown to be academically weak. You see, we tend to believe not the word of somebody who's selling a system, but we believe the academics, people who research this for a living, uh, people like Professor Paul Samuelson, who said for years, was one of the first to say that the markets overall are too efficient for people in general to be able to win timing the market. Yes, it is possible that a few do, but Brooklyn, I'm sorry to tell you, and I'm sure you're very smart, you're super intelligent, but you're not likely to be one of them. In fact, I can almost guarantee you won't be. The evidence is pretty darn conclusive from study after study after study by PhDs, by brokerage firms. I mean, there's a famous study that Schwab did, Charles Schwab, and they were looking at trading individual stocks. And they found in their study, this was just done last year, that those who were able to perfectly time the market, perfectly time it, ended up making the most money. But you can't find anyone. You have to be perfect. You have to always get in at the exact right time and always get out at the exact right time. If you mess up at all, then you fall into the second group, which is people who just invested and left the money there. They, they invested just as soon as they had the money, and they left it there, followed by the people who had the money but cut it up into 12 pieces and dollar-cost averaged in. They were the second. And the worst group were the people in cash who didn't invest because they were too scared. There, there is no, no, zero, zero academic evidence that market timing works. As a matter of fact, to give you another great example, one of the most famous students of investing newsletters, most of which time the market, Mark Hulbert, who works for uh, Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal, he said over and over and over again in his publication, which makes money off of people who write timing newsletters, that there is no evidence that anyone can time the market and beat just buying and holding. The key is a massively diversified portfolio. You really want to own every security in all these asset classes, stocks and bonds, growth and value, U.S. and international, large and small. You want to own the whole gamut. And then there is some evidence that shows if you overweight small companies and value companies, you might or you would have done better in the past. But nobody, nobody can time the market. But boy, do they want you to think they can because there's a lot of money in it for them, not for you. So don't listen to that, that other podcast. Just listen to this one.
Thanks for being there, Brooklyn. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, this guy's next. Hey, Don and Tom, a couple questions. I'm trying to get more exposure and more tilt to a small cap value in emerging markets. Uh, with emerging markets, I'm not really trying to tilt. I just want to get a market capitalization exposure. My 401k is with principal, has very limited options, uh, mostly American funds. There are some of principal's own index funds, S&P 500, mid cap, small cap, bond market, and a developed markets international index fund. So I'm primarily using those to keep my, my cost down. The uh, expense ratios are all you know between 40 and 45, 50 basis points in that ballpark. So not cheap by any means, but so the problem is with the international exposure, which I'm trying to target a 30% international, 70% U.S., that's what I'm comfortable with. The two options I have that I'm considering are PIIQX, which is the Principal Developed Markets Index, and RERX, which is an American Funds Euro-Pacific Growth, which from Morningstar looks like about 22% emerging markets. Problem is, it's you know less diversification and um, more expensive. I'm currently splitting between the two, uh, and then supplementing the emerging markets in my uh, Roth IRA and my brokerage. The problem is, I have significantly more assets in my 401k. I have 400 thousand in there. I had a, a my previous employer had a very generous uh, contribution with profit sharing. And my Roth IRA, I only have about 50K in there and uh, 10K in my brokerage. So it's hard to get the ratios right for the exposures I'm looking for, but I'm going to build that up over time. Your employer is doing you a tremendous disservice with this 401k plan. They really are. They made a bad choice, probably based on a relationship with somebody who works for principal. Because those funds are not nearly as good as you even say they are. I checked out some of the funds you're looking at. For example, the PIIQX. According to Morningstar, its expense ratio is 0.58, six-tenths of a percent. I went through the principal list of 401k funds, the R shares, and I'm finding the fees are higher than you're saying they are, and the choices are pretty pathetic. They're, they're really not all that good. Uh, I think you're probably doing the best you can with what you have. I would focus, though, more on index funds, less on actively managed, because they're going to have the lower fees. And in your case, the fees are going to matter a lot more because of the relatively high nature of those fees. And then uh, every penny that is not in your either that is not in your emergency fund or in your 401k, every penny that is earmarked for longer term, you even use your 401k possibly for some of your, your bonds. If you have a bond, if you need a bond portfolio for your risk tolerance and take advantage of the Roth and maybe brokerage accounts to beef up your small cap and your, your emerging markets. Cause I think that's the only way you're, you're going to do it. Don't go with any large cap growth vehicles in your Roth IRA. None whatsoever. Use that as your balance. Remember, remember, this whole thing is one portfolio. We should all think of all of our accounts 
as part of a single portfolio and use those various accounts to fill in the holes in our overall portfolio. And if you if your company is a relatively small one, you really might want to sit down with the board or the owner or whomever made this decision and request that they look at some other purveyors of products, of programs, because this is not a very good one. I'm, I'm sure it's easy for the employer, but it's not particularly good for the employees, and that probably includes the employer. You can do a lot better. Thanks for the call. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's see. Let's take another one that came in from TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, Don and Tom. I know Don is a fan of the I-bonds, and Tom thinks they're gimmicky. But I'm looking at the rate today, and for the next six months, it's 9.62%. And uh, I can feel greed coursing through my veins. Um, What would be the worst case outcome if I keep them for five years? That they go down to zero for the remaining uh, time after the six months? Um, this is money that I uh, don't need for anything. It's part of my cash and bonds. So anyways, I'm just curious. Thanks. Tom, any comment? Well, sorry, Tom's not going to get your question, but you know what his answer would be. Um, yeah, you know, it's not going to make that big a difference because it's just 10,000 per person per year. Yeah, you could probably get some more in other ways, but a little complicated um but worst case scenario yeah you're right I, there, there there is the worst case scenario is not terrible what's the worst case scenario you make 9.62 for six months and you never make anything again not a thing good news actually is if uh if you don't make anything for several months. You you only lose three months of interest if you pull out before five years. Can't pull out before one, but if you pull out before five, you you're going to lose three months of zero if you want to go somewhere else. So the worst case isn't bad, and I don't think Tom is saying that these are bad investments. I think he's saying they're a distraction from the bigger picture. That you know, we spend a whole lot of time thinking about this one little ten thousand dollar portion of our portfolio, and we miss the bigger pictures that so many of us miss in our portfolios. And you have to believe us; that is the case. We hear from people all the time who go, "Oh, yeah, we've been I've been listening to Don since nineteen eighty nine, and following his advice like clockwork." Or we've been listening to you and Tom for five or six years, and we. We do everything you say, and then we take a look at the portfolio, and we go, "Wait, uh, is that an, are those individual stocks? Wait, you just got into this annuity? You have junk bonds?" And then we kind of wonder who they were listening to. It apparently wasn't us. So um, I think that's part of it. Is that he's he's worried we're missing the big picture. The most important thing you can do is to have an overall portfolio that works for you. These are interesting little, and I get caught up in them too. I bought my I bonds because I like looking and going, oh, look, I actually made money on something. 
but but I know there's a, they're a bit gimmicky and and they're not an integral part of my portfolio. They're just sort of an aside. Thanks for the call. Well, you know, punching the button at talkingrealmoney.com, which uh, everybody in today's program did. We don't have a single. I take them in order, and we don't have a single one that uh, came in from the phone right now. We'll have some next week or over the weekend. I don't know when we'll use them. Let's go to our next question. Gentlemen, Juan here. First of all, whenever Don is gone and Tom's running the show, he is really caffeinated. This is especially true when Paul Merriman is the guest. I'm not sure how much coffee he drinks before the show, but he might want to cup back by a cup or two. Could be good for his heart. So, love the show. I'll admit I don't understand everything you talk about, but I do follow most of it. However, what I find is you sometimes forget your audience and use terms that a non-planner might not understand. An example is basis points. You use that term all the time, but what does it mean? When you don't use basis points, you will use percentages. I have a feeling most people understand the concept of percentages, but how many know what a basis point is? If I'm the only one who has no idea what a basis point is, then no problem. I'll just zone out whenever that term comes up and wake back up for the rest of the conversation. But I have a feeling that I'm not the only one. Please try to think of us non-planners when you're talking the lingo. If education is part of your goal, it will probably help many of us. Not a criticism, just a critique. Yes. Yes, it, it was one to whom I was referring earlier in the program. <laughs> it's no secret. Tom doesn't make a secret of it at all. Tom uh, lives on five-hour energy. I have, I have, as a friend, suggested that maybe he goes back a little bit, but uh, he may very well have been when a, a little caffeinated. I find... <laughs> We kind of we balance each other out, you know. He he would and I I I will rant and rave. Um, I'll get too emotional, so it's kind of a balance. Ah, oh, you're right. Jargon. I hate jargon. I I know I get caught up in it, and I I kick myself when I do it. I totally agree with you. I hate using the term basis points, but we use it so often in the industry that it's sort of a hard habit to break. And I'm really going to try to avoid that because, you know, I guess it does make us sound kind of cool. Oh, that's just uh, that's just 10 basis points. Well, it's one-tenth of a percent. It's not that much easier to say. It's really simple, though. The concept is so easy. One percent can be divided into 100 basis points which really is, is a one one-hundredth of a percent. So in, in the when you get down to tiny basis points, when you get down to one basis point, it is slightly easier to say one basis point than it is to say one one-hundredth of one percent. If you say that really fast, it could, you know, kind of garble. One one-hundredth of one percent. Well, huh? What was that? But that's what they are. And by the way, if you have any questions about jargon, please do what Juan did. I would love to explain jargon. If there's something I've talked about that you or Thomas talked about that you do not understand, you're going, what in the heck did they just say? 
drop a question in. Send us a note. Let us know you'd like us to clarify. We would love to clarify. Call us during the show. But that's what a basis point is. Juan, thanks so much for your inquiry and your commentary, sir. Next up, another Talking Real Money recording. Hi, Tom and Don. It's Mike from Colorado. Hey, I have a question and a comment. My question pertains to contributing to a Roth. I'm actually retired as of next year, and my wife will still be working, so she'll still have income. It's my understanding that obviously we can contribute fully for her Roth account, but what I wanted to know is can I contribute to my own Roth account with just her income qualifying? I believe the answer is yes, but I just wanted to get your take on that. Uh, my comment is I, I've learned about a, a cash account on personal capital that might be of interest to your listeners. It's called personal capital cash. And for those not familiar with personal capital, it's just an aggregate of all your accounts that you can combine together and get a quick snapshot of everything you have tied together with regard to your your mutual funds, your bank accounts, your credit card accounts. But anyway, this personal capital cash account took me five minutes to open it on their site, and they're offering 2.02% with no minimum. And uh, the other caveat is the FDIC insurance goes up to 2.5 million for a, a joint account. And uh, I thought that was pretty attractive. I know it doesn't have all the bells and whistles of a traditional bank account, but there's more to come as I've researched with uh, regard to bill pay and ATMs and, and that type of thing coming in the future. So anyway, you guys might want to take a look at it. I just thought that's a, a great rate for uh, uh, not much having to put into it. Minimum balance of $1 if you want. Enjoy your show. Have a great day, guys. Thanks. Bye. Well, Mike from the great state of Colorado. And, you know, we all know it's great because somebody near and dear to you was born there. It's where my roots are. Uh, Colorado. Born in Boulder, raised in Colorado Springs most of the time. Yeah, all over the place. But love the great state of Colorado. I don't know if you guys know this, but it's so funny. I'll just give you a little aside. Uh, my wife and I moved to Florida 20, ooh, a long time ago. We moved to Celebration, Florida about 25 years ago. And we had a little store in downtown Celebration. And one day, this woman walks into the store and her husband. And I'm looking at him going, gee whiz, this is weird. We're a long way from Colorado, but... That appears to be former Congresswoman Pat Schroeder. Darned if it wasn't former Congresswoman Pat Schroeder. With uh, with whom I'm, I've become, we become good friends with with uh, Pat and her husband, Jim. Jim's my Denver Bronco buddy on Sundays because I get Sunday ticket. He, he has a lot more money than I do, but, but he doesn't buy Sunday ticket. I buy it. He comes over. But he brings me beer, so it works out. So anyway, little aside, uh, back to our call from Colorado. Um, let's see. Roth. Yes, you can retire as long as your wife has earned income enough to cover both of your Roths. Her income can fund your Roth up to 14,000. I believe it is for the two of you. So yeah, 14. So yeah, absolutely. You can have that. Ah, now onto the harder one of the two. 
that personal capital account. I did not know personal capital was purchased by Empower. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that, but let's get into the nitty gritty. Now, they say that the aggregate FDIC insurance is up to one and a quarter million dollars and that the API is between 2.02 and 2.15 for personal capital clients, advisory clients. Now, I don't know how much personal capital advisory charges. I guess I can find it, but that's not the point. Here's my point. I read the fine print. It's a little, well, it concerns me a bit because something similar to this was tried by a crypto company to allow them to say that some of their accounts were FDIC insured. You see, personal capital is not a bank. So they've they've set up a deal with UMB Bank to act as a conduit. Now, this is where it gets really complicated. UMB Bank is going to take your money, which gives you FDI insurance immediately when they take it, and then they are going to send it off to other banks that are part of the program. So, therefore, they say 1.25, which leads me to believe they have currently have five partners because the insurance is $250,000 per depositor per bank. So, there's some there's there is some incredible complexity to this deal that would be enough just because I don't like things that I'm not sure I completely understand because I've seen too many of them turn around and bite people years ago uh, when I was doing some serious research on auction rate notes for a, a board I was on. And everybody told me these these auction rate notes have been 100% safe. Nobody has ever lost any money. And then sure enough, a few months later, the auction rate note market collapsed because it was too good to be true. Now, I'm not saying that's the case here because it looks like they've gotten this all figured out. Okay? Looks like they got it figured out. But why bother? Why bother? Because right now, according to bankrate.com, there are multiple FDIC banks offering 2 to 2.1% on their money market accounts or their savings, their high-yield savings accounts. You don't have to be in anything. In fact, CIBC Bank has a minimum balance of $1, and they're paying 2.08%. That's it. No fees. SoFi is paying 2 Minimum balance, basically a dollar. Citizens Bank, 2.1. I know it sounds good because we're so used to low rates. We've had we've been living through this low rate environment for so long that we're going 2%. That's like huge money. But I, I just, it's really complex. It truly is. And you're going to have all these different accounts with other people. I guess if you're a personal capital client, it does make sense. It does make sense. Because they'll show up in your account. You'll actually see them in your account. 
And I, I really, boy, what does, uh, let's see, I, I'm curious to know what they pay. Wealth management fee structure. Oh, well, it's not that good. It really isn't. I thought it would be better than that because it's it's a robo-advisor. Oh, this isn't very impressive at all. Um, flat, 0.89% on the first million. And then there's some break points after that, but they don't go down much. That's pretty high for robo. I mean, you're not getting your own private person? Wow. That's shockingly high for robo. Huh. Let me see what else. I want to read more. Two dedicated. Oh, you get two dedicated financial advisors. Okay. All right. Custom portfolio with regular reviews. Okay. So there is somebody. That's better. I just didn't find that. Dedicated advice specialist. Okay. Really, they're, they're right in the ballpark. Nine-tenths of a percent. One percent. That's about as low as dedicated advice gets. Dedicated. Of course, it should go down over a million dollars. I don't know where, what their break is, um, but hmm, it's very interesting. That is, that's much higher than I expected. That is. It's really higher. Well, then, let's see. What do we have to do now? I think we just have this one left. Here's another from TalkingRealMoney.com. Hey, Don and Tom. Love the show. Question uh, regarding money that I am holding on to and building currently uh, with the intent of using for next year's Roth IRA. I have 2022's Roth IRA accounts maxed out for my wife and I and currently have um, a little over half of 2023's maximum amounts set aside and hope to have close to the maximum amounts by the time January 1st, 2023 rolls around and would plan on maxing those out at that point. I feel like I have a lot of money just sitting there doing nothing in a checking or savings account. And I'm wondering if you advise putting that into a taxable brokerage or just parking it in a high yield savings or what, what uh, other people are doing or what's the best advice on money that I plan on using for a Roth IRA, IRA in 2023. Thanks. Keep up the great work. At the very least, I would look for something like these high-yield savings accounts that pay a couple of percentage points. Uh, I would look for those, at least. But the more I thought about this, the more I would probably do it differently if this was my money. And this is just for me, because I'm inured to risk. I, I, I just Market volatility doesn't affect me. It really doesn't. I've been watching it for so many years. It has no impact on me whatsoever. I watch my account go way down. I've watched that for years. I watch it go way back up. And it's it's always gone up more than it's gone down. So I, I'm just not that worried. Uh, and I, I plan to eventually, when I do retire, to adjust my lifestyle to whatever my portfolio is worth. So having said all of that, that was probably unnecessary, if I was putting it away, I would probably put it in exactly the ETFs or the or one of the ETFs that I would use in my Roth IRA when I get, get to put the money in. Now, I know that puts it at risk. Oh, well. Oh, well. 
that happens. But what it does is it kind of keeps me or puts me in that market. Because as I said to the timing question, the data supports getting the money in to whatever investments you want to get into as soon as possible because markets tend to have gone up more than they have gone down. So I want to be there because most of the, I'm playing the long odds. Most of the time, it's going to go up. So I have to take it out of my ETF and pay a little teeny tiny capital gain, which will be as income. Uh, but, you know, that's a that's something I would tend, I would think about doing possibly. I would think about it, particularly if I was saving from, you know, longer term money. If it's just a few months, probably a high yield savings account or a three month CD or whatever it might be. I know that's not a great answer, but it's about as good as it's going to get. <laughs> okay, well, let's see. I think I've done it. I've gone through six callers in pretty darn good time. We'll be right around thirty minutes. Thanks so much for being part of our uh, a part of our podcast, a part of the show. Calling us at eight five five nine three five talk. Calling us on Saturdays. By the way, the next couple of Saturdays because we're still in like that summer season where people aren't as serious about money the next couple of saturdays should be great great days to call us live when we're on the radio in seattle at 855-935-TALK that's the same number that works anywhere for the show 24 hours a day seven days a week if you get a chance tell friends please i don't see a lot of social media sharing i know some of you are on social media and if you like one of the things you've heard or seen like our podcasts that are video casts Please share it on your social media. Tell friends, neighbors, relatives. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Rate us on Spotify. And if you have one of those really big, complex questions and you need to talk with a real live advisor and you don't want to pay for it and you don't want a high-pressure sales pitch, then we we will do that for you. We will help you. You just Go to Vestry.com and set up an appointment or call 800-386-3004 to talk with one of our advisors. We'll meet with you for free for nothing, no obligation, no sales pitch. If you want us to manage your money long-term, which could be very good for you, we are more than happy to do that too, but we will charge you for it. And our fees start at 1% per year and go down from there. That's it. We're done. Thanks for being there. I'm going to go... Well, first, I'm going to edit this. Then I'm going to put it up on the internet. Then, if I have time left, I'll do a little research so that tomorrow I can be back here talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial product or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. As you keep the lawyers happy.